Ron and Anian. This is sort of an interesting story. I don't know if this is so much a call as we wanted to ask Miranda a couple of questions. She is a new driver. But all I wanted was a car. The Car Doctor. It's very liberating, and you have a lot of responsibility being um, a young driver out on the road. I thought it was the high amount of responsibility that comes with um, being a new driver, being a young driver, um, driving your parents' cars, all of that um, is very important. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Amy in the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions and uh, talk to you about your automobile, which is what we get to do each and every week here at 855-560-9900. The car doctor's 24-7 phone number. You'll be greeted, perhaps, if you call in live now, Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. You'll be greeted by the one and only, not a phony, the real call, the real caller, the real producer, Tom Ray, executive uh, at all. That he is. And um, Anthony is on the board again today. Welcome back, Anthony. It's good to see you. And um, they're both sitting over there waiting very patiently. They've uh, informed me that it is 32 days to uh, Giants football season. They're uh, counting the days, the minutes, the seconds for another <clears throat> great season. And um, they're looking forward to that. Uh, thank you for that show of support there, gentlemen. And um, I'm here for you, just uh, trying to help the cause. But our real purpose, as, uh, as always, is um, we're here about cars. And that's what it is. And it sure seems to be a hot topic um, it seems like it's growing in terms of um, popularity, the conversation about self-driving cars. I've got a couple of email comments I'm going to do over the course of the next two hours, an hour to clip, uh, depending on how your affiliate takes this and depending upon how you listen to this on podcast. And uh, we've got another great real fix, sure track fix from the folks over at Mitchell One. We'll talk about that this week. But you know what? This show is really about you and your car, your problems, your questions at 855-560-9900. And it's about, well, <clears throat> it's like this. An 03 Mercury Grand Marquis came into the shop at our automotive this week, and it was a pretty clear-cut problem. The automatic temperature control for the AC wasn't working. And, you know, the customer, believe it or not, the customer's like, well, I think I can live without air conditioning. It's not that mission critical to me. If you can fix it, see if you can fix it. Let me know what's going on. And I guess the point of this repair becomes that it's the time you spend beforehand and the amount of time that you're required to spend or should be spending to diagnose and research the problem. Now, keep in mind, I said this is a 2003. This vehicle is, is, is 15 years old, by my math. And it's fairly simple. It's very simple compared to cars of today in terms of wiring and, and the information that you have to get from a diagram to track anything down. I went to the wiring diagram for the electronic control head, and it was easy enough. The and Fuse 16 tested good or did it? Gee, it had power, but Fuse 16 fed a bunch of other things. So we'll back up. We'll go right to the control head. Let's get to the control head. Pulled it apart. Connector pin 16 had 1.25 volts. That's kind of interesting. Went to the fuse, had 1.25 volts. Well, that's a problem. Why do we have low voltage across that fuse? Went to the other hot leg of the module, and it had battery voltage on it, and we had ground. So our focus now becomes fuse 16 on this 03 Mercury Grand Marquis. 
Well, you track it back, coming in, it comes in off of the gray-yellow. The gray-yellow is one of two wires that split off the ignition switch, goes right to the ignition switch, and that's got 1.25. Hmm, do we have a bad ignition switch? Well, let's, let's follow this out a little further. There are two light green wires coming in on that ignition switch, and they're feeding it 1.25 volts. Gee, I think we've got a problem on the feed side. I wonder what happens if we apply 12 volts to this. Got out the power probe, and um, I just wanted to see the reaction. And sure enough, feed 12 volts in on the, one, on the light green wires, and the automatic temp control head lights up and starts working. So I've definitely got a power supply issue. The other thing that was on this circuit after studying it was the brake shift interlock. You know, you step on the brake and the pedal releases the shifter so you can... But it didn't work that way on this car. This car would manually shift into any gear, regardless of whether or not your foot was on the pedal. I started looking around wiring, and I could see where someone before me, you know, it's always that before me guy, had hacked into the wiring harness, and, well, let's just say he made some modifications to, to, to hotwire the shift interlock. Hmm. And the last thing on the circuit that really mattered to me was the reverse lights. The reverse lights didn't work, all pointing to this one particular fuse, this one circuit. Why wasn't this circuit lit up? Went to the bulkhead. You know, you, you try to split wiring up into sections. You try and go a clip at a time, moving as fast as you can. Are you, are you hot from here to here? Are you hot from there to there? Do you have power? Do you have power? Do you have power? I had 12.2 volts coming into the passenger compartment. I had battery voltage coming in through the firewall connector. And I said, okay, I'm good up till here, but am I? With the firewall connector disconnected, and it's a 70-pin connector, I ID'd which was the feed in, the light green wire coming in off of fuse 115, which is a 50-amp fuse, which, by the way, made no sense. It was a 50-amp fuse that powered up about eight amps worth of components. The only real heavy-duty thing on that circuit would have been fog lights, which this car did not have. So, you know, here's a classic case of 12 volts doesn't mean anything. We had 12 volts. We had 12 volts on the feed coming in through the bulkhead connector. I actually had 12 volts at the fuse until I turned the key on. Turned the key on, it dropped down to the 1.25. Hmm. I wonder if it'll power the headlight. The headlight knows all, right? The headlight's like the Wizard of Oz. It, if it powers the headlight, it'll power the circuit because we're, we're seeing amperage flow. We're seeing amperage amperage and current, right? Or current, amperage, whichever way you want to call it. 220, 221, you know what I'm saying. Well, guess what? I powered up the, or tried to power up the headlamp using the firewall connector at the firewall connector, and the headlight wouldn't light. Wow, I've got no power coming in. I go to the fuse. i got power across the fuse. I pick the fuse block up. I've got power underneath the fuse block. Of course, I did find a couple of chewed-through wires, and now I'm really starting to go, hmm customer did say something about power door locks working, not working, and it wasn't that they were chewed. I actually think they were melted. Now, keep in mind, early Fords of this generation, they were the ones that suffered from the daytime running lamp module failure, where the daytime running lamp would overheat and cause some harness issues. And with that in mind, I started tracing out my light green feed off of Fuse 115 from the right front corner of the passenger compartment. I had 13 volts, and it would power the headlight here, here, not here. Wait a minute. What happened between here and here? There's a couple of things you know to look for, all right? 
And when you get into a situation like this, always remember you're looking for something obscure. You're really looking at the finer points. You're looking for tracks in the sand. It's like it's like tracking a mouse across the Sahara. You're looking for little distortions in, in that wiring harness. What moved, what shifted, what changed, what is so different. Had the car up in the air. I had to take apart the right front fender well. I had to take it out of the car in order to get to the harness because it comes down out of the fuse box, out of the battery junction box, and leads underneath the battery tray and comes around the right front corner. Why is there battery acid coming out of the harness cover? You know, that plastic convoluted cover? Why is there like a little, not a lot, just, I mean, it doesn't matter a little or a lot. It was just a little bit of green battery corrosion coming out of the harness. Well, that can't be good. So carefully with safety glasses on, because now I'm looking up at the wiring harness. It looks like it might be filled with some kind of corrosive material. And sure enough, somewhere along the way, this car had a leaky battery. And what kind of tipped me off, what got me thinking about it was it had a new battery in it before I got the car. The battery had been replaced. And I can't tell you if the battery was replaced last month or, or six months ago, but the battery was shiny new. When do people change batteries? When do people change batteries? Usually when they're, when they're bad or leaking and the battery goes bad and they go, oh, I need a new battery. But most people, I don't know, some people, a fair amount of the population doesn't get it. And they'll wait until that car dies and they'll drive a car with a dirty, leaky, snotty, acidy battery until it just drops dead. Guess what? The acid from the battery dripped down onto the harness, worked its way through the plastic inner fender well, and actually you could follow the line that it just dripped right down onto the harness from the backside of the convolute, the plastic tubing that you couldn't see, ate through it, and worked its way into the harness. Pulled it all apart, razored off the rest of the tape that you know was basically falling apart anyway, and I found a small piece of that light green harness where the acid had basically just drip, drip, drip and you know an automotive failure is like the government it takes their time but they just keep coming and over time it just broke the insulation then dripped on the copper and then over time that copper eventually disintegrated till it got to the point where one day that air, electronic air, air conditioning control just didn't work and that's what it was soldered a new piece put everything back together the car is done but the moral of this story is, and the point of this story is, if your mechanic's diagnosing electrical, in my opinion, and he's not spending 30 to, 30 to, 30 to 45 minutes examining the circuit, I think he's doing you a disservice. The good ones will take the time to look for it. And listen, you're going to get charged for it. It's like research. You don't go to a lawyer or a doctor without getting charged for time spent. But the... the, the amount of time saved the dollars saved by knowing which way you're going and this was a fairly simple car go to a 2018 automobile and the multiple relays modules connectors splices that are involved it'll make your head spin so keep that in mind the next time your mechanics diagnosing something make sure he's charging you something because for nothing that's usually what you get. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, coming back right after this. When the family car needs some fixing, there's only two things that really matter. Getting the right part 
and getting some good advice. It's a pretty safe bet that with over a million parts in stock, Pep Boys has the right part right now. The Pep Boys pros are extensively trained to find the right part for just about any car or truck. Better yet, these pros can also handle the entire installation or service needed. It's always good to have options and know the Pep Boys pros have it covered either way. Ron and Ian, the car doctor. The phone number, by the way, is 855-560-9900. And uh, we're here 24-7. Just leave a message if we're not on the air. We're live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. And uh, Tom Ray will give you a shout back. By the way, thanks for subscribing to the podcast. We can see the podcast numbers climbing. And um, real quick, you go to cardoctorshow.com, cardoctorshow.com. Click on the podcast button. That takes you out to the, uh, to the, to the website for the podcast. And either click on uh, follow or if you're using something on your Android device or however you're doing it on your iPhone, click subscribe. You know what? We need those numbers. Those numbers help us with the sponsors, and um, that's what keeps us here. That's the business side. That's my plea. I'm going to answer the phones in a quick second. Just I'm, I'm reading, and I'll go into this in detail. I've got a letter here from an Eric Bean that talks about self-driving cars, and he makes a he makes a heck of a statement here. He goes, how will a self-driving car recognize the sound of a tire blowing going down the interstate? And we're going to read this letter in its entirety in a, in a little bit, but I thought that was a real good point Eric's making there about the human element involved that um, keeps us safe while we're driving. Let's go over to Maynard in Illinois, some questions about um, automobile preference. Maynard, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Uh, thanks, Ron. I appreciate taking that car. You, call. You helped me in the past with my daughter's Volvo and my Jag. But I've had a question. You, you've been in the business a long time. Probably long, too long. Long, long time. <laughs> you... Oh. Do you prefer working the older cars that are purely mechanical, or do you like the newer cars that are all with all the electronic controls? You know, Maynard, I, I've, I've got to answer that question this way. What year? What year is it? Is it 2018? If it's if it's 20, yeah. if it's 2018, I like working on the newer cars. If it was, if it was 1980, and that 78 Corvette was well, I guess even then, you know, the problem is it's it's availability and quality of parts. And, and, and that's the problem. You know, if somebody brought me a 68 Camaro to work on today, can you work on it? Sure. But the problem is the, the quality of the replacement parts in general stinks in terms of, you know, from, from what it should be or what it was. All right? And, you know, the amount of modification and, and different avenue um, that you have to go through to repair it. Uh, you know, I think what's going to be interesting is, and I don't know where the year break is going to happen, but I, I've been watching, and I, it's coming to, to truth. Somewhere around 85 through model year 2000. Think about how long ago that is, right? We're talking, you know, it was, it's 18, so it's 18 years ago to the year 2000, and we're going back another 15 on top of that. So we're going back 30-some-odd years. Those cars are going to get lost in the shuffle because you can't get parts for them. Um, you, you know, it's, 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 the supply is not endless. And it's not like they're classics and anybody's going to want, you know, to produce it. I don't know anybody that's going to restore a, a 2000 Buick LeSabre. Nobody's going to care. Um, you know, and the problem is you go back a little further into cars in the 60s and the 70s, which is, you know, a lot of the collectors, the 50s. Parts are an issue. And from a pure mechanical sense, yeah, the old cars were great. But in terms of getting stuff to fit and work right, and, you know, I guess... You know, maybe I'm a self-admitted perfectionist. I just, I just want it to be and look like it did the day I came out of the showroom. It's a little tough on me. It gets on my nerves. 
one of the things I will say working on newer cars that we don't appreciate enough, the new car will give you a lot of information on on what's wrong with it if you if you look in the right places and you take the time to study it. You know, that scan tool, everybody thinks the scan tool tells you what's wrong with the car. The scan tool just gives you information and that information is invaluable and it's 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 things that we didn't get out of older cars. We would have to, you know, trial and error. Yeah, they were easier to work on, but were they? You know, go to a and I was thinking about this two weeks ago. We were at a local car show here, and somebody had, I'm gonna, I think it was a, a, a 50 Hudson Hornet. I think that's what it was. Whoa! Oh, oh my God, the heater assembly in this thing. I'd rather pull the firewall out of a 09 Chevy, you know, Avalanche. It was just so much easier to work on, and so much more well thought out and laid out, and, and you know, um, to work on some of the older cars was as big a nightmare as it is on the new stuff. It's not like they were that great. So I think parts have to define what's the most fun to work on, quality of those parts, what's the most fun to work on, and, you know, the patience of the owner. You know, somebody brings you a 57 Olds. We had a customer bring us a 57 Oldsmobile. 57, all right? It took almost 10 months to bring that car up to speed. He left. He took it with him. He won a couple of shows with it. The car was, it was pretty much perfect. But the cost factor, and he had the pocketbook for it, he understood it, but the cost factor was high. Most people aren't like that. They're they're still thinking of the older cars as, eh, they're just, you know, they're, they're just yeah. an old car and it's a hobby. It's not a hobby. It is and it isn't. It's 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 what you're looking for. Um, they, they, they both present their challenges. I guess that's how I'm going to answer that question. Well, um, parts aside, did you, when you got a car in, was a, the old mechanical cars. I mean, I have an MG and I love it. I can work on it. I understand it. My new cars. I mean, I've got a scan tool, but so I'm so lost at times. That's what I was wondering. That's called education. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Hey, listen, Maynard. I got to tell you something. I'm lost sometimes too, brother. Um, you know, you, you, you get to that point. So that's the first step to recovery. Yeah, I know. It's admitting admitting your issues. Um, I'm lost, but at least I know where the compass is. So, and that's the difference. Maynard, I hope I helped you, brother. Um, but by all means, just keep on trucking and uh, just, you know what, keep on listening. And we'll try and educate you and everybody else because that's what this show is about. I appreciate the call, sir. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anini, The Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. By the way, have you checked out our Facebook page lately? Um, I don't know who's doing that. Somebody back in the editorial department. But whoever's putting up those Car Doctor pictures the day of the show, they're hysterical. There's a really great one up there today about um, the millennial anti-theft device. And uh, um, I actually answered that question because someone said, hey, did they really ever put a six-speed in the Jeep? Yeah, they, you know, it was a rare option in a Wrangler. Not many of them out there. I've seen three in my career. Um, Just popped another one up. Oh, yeah? Uh, we'll have to go look at that during the break, but um, that's our that's our illustrious Tom Ray as he's um, putting things up out on Facebook. So get out to the Car Doctor Facebook page. Some email, Ron. After owning a few cars over the years and changing the brakes, after owning a few cars over the years and changing the brakes, it doesn't hold like the manufacturer original brakes. Oh, I see what we're saying. Can you help me, Silver? Um, Sylvan, Silver, whichever. 
Yeah, I can help you. Um, my question would be, how are you doing it? Are you changing brake pads and that's it? Are you lubing slides? Are you replacing or machining rotors? You know, I don't know where this trend started, but it seems like it's growing, and maybe it's because of cost. But just replacing brake pads doesn't cut it. A machined surface, you know, either cutting the rotor or replacing the rotor with a machined rotor, obviously, um, it does a couple of things. Number one, it ensures a smooth, flat surface so that there's no brake pulse during stopping. But it also helps seat the brake pad. It, it scuffs it. It brings the resin or the... Um, the material that bonds the pad together to the surface and brings it to a boiling point and helps seal and cure it so that it's a it's a it's a good firm pad. It it, it will change brake pedal feel. So more often than not, my experience, dirt cheap, maiden, you know, ishkabibble brake pads for you know six bucks a piece, barring the real cheap junk, most of the time when we get a brake pedal feel concern. It's usually a result of how the job was done or not done properly affecting it. So I would ask you to go back and look at your procedure and consider, you know, are you using an OE spec quality of pad? We should talk about that for a minute. You know, brake manufacturers, and I've touched on this over the last couple of weeks, brake manufacturers have different grades or levels of brake pad. They will, you know, they will make a premium, uh, an economy, a middle of the road, various names, gold, silver, bronze, whatever. Um, you know, the fact is that you can buy and, you know, use different levels, but it won't matter because the, the two things that come to my mind is, is whatever you're using, does it say meets OE? OE is original equipment specification. Does it say that on the box? And how are you doing the brake service? Are you machining rotors, lubing slides? Are you flushing brake fluid to provide correct hydraulic action so that all the hydraulics move and work together? And all those things are, are, are very, very important. So consider that as part of your process to, pro to properly perform a brake replacement. Some comments about self-driving cars. Hey, Ron, when you have Clark Howard on, by the way, where are we with Clark Howard? We've got to ask Tom about that. Ask me if they're going to have self-diagnosing cars in the future, no need for a technician or to have a scan tool, just a parts changer. Isn't that what we have now in some places? Or even more advanced, have the car's computer bypass the faulty circuit and switch to a spare circuit that would take over the function of the faulty one. Have a great July 4th, Ken in Maryland. I'm probably listening on WGMD down there in Rehoboth Beach, Maryland. Um, I will tell you this. I, I, I think you bring some good points up, Ken. I wonder where the self-driving self cars are going to... Um, be in the future you know self-driving self-diagnosing you, you wonder how will they tell you where it hurts and at what point will they change the component one of the things i wonder about self-driving cars with the amount of electronics on them what will happen when the mother motherboard goes bad right the motherboard goes bad on your laptop or your desktop computer eh, it doesn't boot what's it going to do on the self-driving car just you know what is it going to do um you know it doesn't doesn't make any sense so um, but in any event, that's uh, just some thoughts, and uh, Ken, I appreciate it. We'll ask him those questions. Let's get back to the phones. Let's go over to Chuck in Florida, O2 Ford Ranger, and an AC problem. Chuck, welcome to the car, Doctor. How can I help? Hey, thank you. Uh, um, my AC, when I'm idling and waiting for the wife, blows nice cold air. When I take off, the cold air stops. I drive two or three miles, it comes right back on again, and... The compressor's great as far as blowing cold air, but uh, what am I looking at to fix it? Well, wait a minute now. So it's it's okay at idle. You take off, drive yep. down the road. 
um, you know, 30, 35 miles an hour, and it starts blowing warm air, yes. right? And uh, which yep. en and which engine is this? V six or four cylinder? Uh, V6. Okay, 3.0, I guess. Do you know? Yes. Uh, so it's the 3.0. No, 4. 4.0. Uh, four four, four. Yeah. 4.0, okay. Um, and then after a couple of minutes of cruising down the road, all of a sudden it starts to work again? Yes. Okay. Um, so the questions I would have is, when it's not working, is the compressor engaged? That I don't know. Okay, so that's step one. Step two, what are system pressures? I have no idea. I'm just a novice. Yeah, no, no, I'm just saying. These are the questions you've got to ask your mechanic. Because your question to me is what's wrong. My question to you is what's been diagnosed. And it's, it's still going okay, to come back I, to that. You know, this could, be, this could be electrical. This could be something that's turning the compressor off such that, you know, you accelerate and the compressor turns off and then two blocks down the road it hits a bump in the road or... Something times in and turns the circuit back on. So is the is the compressor clutch on or off? That's number one. Number two, how much refrigerant's in the system? And you I know, had it charged, but that didn't help. Okay. And when they charged it, how did they charge it? Did they just top it up? I have no idea. What did it cost you? Do you remember? Uh, close to a hundred. Okay. My my guess is that all they did was top it up, and here's here's Probably. the here's the problem with that. Well, let me let me ask a second question. Do you know if they used the correct refrigerant? Let me finish that 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 question. Did they use one thirty four refrigerant, or did they put some type of blend or other aftermarket AC refrigerant in there? I have no idea of knowing. All right, got to look at the receipt, and hopefully it's on there. Here's the problem with topping up, all right? Well, let, me, let me lay the scenario out this way. Did you go in there and say, hey, I've got a problem, the AC doesn't cool? Or did you just go in and ask for a recharge? No, I told them the situation just like I've told you. And they decided to just recharge it. And it didn't help. Right. Okay. And, th and then they told me they'd have to tear the dash out or do something. And I didn't want to go that expense on that type of a vehicle. Okay. Let me ask you something, Chuck. You got air conditioning in the house? Yes, I do. All right, I would think so, living in Florida. And, you know, <laughs> most... Mo yeah, I've been to Florida. You walk out the airport and there's that heat curtain. You know, they open the door mm -hmm. and it's like, whoosh, and you're like walking in slow motion the minute you get outside. Um, you know, it, whether it's a household air conditioning or an automotive air conditioning, there's only so much capacity. There's just only so much refrigerant that the system's going to call for. If if your answer, if your question to them was, "Hey, the system's not performing properly," and their answer is, "Let's put some refrigerant in it," and that was really what happened, then they they took your money. There was no diagnosis performed. For all we know now, that system could be overcharged. There could be too much refrigerant in it, and the only way we're going to tell is somebody's got to take a look and either recover or do some readings by pressure gauge. So, do you have a regular mechanic? No. Uh, we just built a new house over here, and I'm not familiar with the mechanic. Okay. So, this is going to be a tough... I could take it, yeah. I could take it to full Dodge, but uh, 
you got to hold on to your wallet when you go to those places. Well, you know, and you got to get some answers too. Got to talk to the neighbors. All right. And you know this is a, this oh. is going to be a tough first date. You got to find somebody to talk to and say, "Hey, I'm looking for some straight answers. I'm willing to spend you know an hour of the shop's time, whatever it is, seventy five, a hundred bucks. I need a diagnosis because to, to to blindly continue down this path, you'll be calling me in a month saying, "Hey, I spent a thousand dollars on parts and I still don't have air conditioning." And my first question is going to be, "Did anybody diagnose anything?" Yeah, you know, I hear you. There's 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 no magic pill here, whether. Whether I'm on radio or in the shop, my answers are still the same. If, if we were at the shop, the first thing I would want to do is identify, use an AC identifier, identify what refrigerant's in the vehicle, and it's got to come up, you know, 100%, 134, because if it comes up as one of the blends or something else, that presents some challenges. Then once I know that, I'm either going to do a, a pressure gauge reading or I'm going to recover what's in there, measure what comes out. And in your case, I'd probably measure what comes out because now I don't know where it is capacity was then you know if 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 things go the way i think they're going to go you know pull it out measure it okay it's it's this i took out a pound and it calls for two pounds great i'm going to add a pound i i took out three pounds and it calls for two pounds i got a problem <laughs> i'm overcharged um so you know that's why knowing how much is in there is real important and then if the amount of refrigerant is correct if the amount of refrigerant is correct then I've just got to duplicate the problem, which it sounds like it's it's repeatable. It sounds like you can go down the road and catch it in the act. Um, I, I guess I'll leave you with this, Chuck, and maybe I'm just a rebel, but don't be afraid to ask a shop for a diagnosis. They've got to stick to that diagnosis and pay for it because that'll save you money in the long run. I just um, You just got to find the right shop. So call me back next week. Let me know what happens, and uh, I appreciate it, and good luck to you. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's back right after this. When the family car needs some fixing, there's only two things that really matter, getting the right part and getting some good advice. It's a pretty safe bet that with over a million parts in stock, Pep Boys has the right part right now. The Pep Boys pros are extensively trained to find the right part for just about any car or truck. Better yet, these pros can also handle the entire installation or service needed. It's always good to have options and know the Pep Boys pros have it covered either way. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, we are back. Quick piece of email. Hey, Ron, I listen on 101.5 Northampton Mass weekly. This is from Eddie. Does cleaning a mass airflow sensor work? It says, is, should I, re oh, is, or should I replace? Thanks, Ed. Um, well, the answer to the question is a definite maybe. Um, you know, sometimes during the course of diagnosis for a performance issue, Ed, if we're using a scan tool, looking at fuel trim, calculated load, and some other measurements, cleaning a mass airflow sensor will tell us if we're going in the right direction or if a dirty mass airflow is partially or, or directly responsible for our problem. The issue is... How is the sensor cleaned, and what chemical are you using? And it's got to be something specific for mass airflows. And that's where I think a lot of people make their mistake. A lot of people will use something as caustic as throttle body cleaner to clean mass airflow sensors. Now, if you get out to BerrymanProducts.com, they've got all sorts of chemicals and cleaners. I'm sure they've got something for mass airflow, all right? And I would feel comfortable using something from them because I know it's rated properly for what the vehicle's, you know, for, for what it's supposed to do. The answer also becomes that, and that's BerrymanProducts.com. The answer also becomes that sometimes cleaning the mass airflow, if we do see an improvement or a change, 
also tells us that depending upon what those final numbers are, hey, we made a difference, but we didn't quite get to where we wanted to be. Maybe the answer lies in replacing the mass airflow, mass airflow sensor as the final step. I think the answer to keeping mass airflow sensors clean and doing the maintenance to them goes before the cleaning process. You want to make sure you use a good air filter. And that's a mistake a lot of people make today. People will put the, you know, the $5 air filter into the $50,000 vehicle and not understand the fact that how that air filter is formed and manufactured will not only affect performance because how those pleats disperse the air. Here, look at Wix filters. Go to wixfilters.com. Look at what Wix does in terms of manufacturing to make a precise quality made filter that not only just traps the air but also helps direct the air as the manufacturer intended it to but the point becomes to take proper care of the mass airflow sensor you want to make sure you're using a good quality filter like a Wix filter because that will keep the mass airflow sensor cleaner longer and do the job it's supposed to do and if you're looking for Wix filters, get out to O'Reilly Auto, O'ReillyAuto.com, or your local O'Reilly Auto Parts, and they can help you with that selection, too. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. You know, I've got to say, the intelligence level of car doctor listeners, to me, it just, it just it boggles my mind how smart you guys are. And, and, and the things you come up with and you see between the lines and you've taught me a lot over the years. This one really, it just fits that category. This comes to us from a gentleman by the name of Eric Bean. It's a comment on self-driving cars. Ron, I've got something to add to your recent discussion on self-driving cars. They may be technological wonders, but the human element cannot be eliminated. Take, for instance, the ability to distinguish sound. Who thinks of this, right? I never thought of that, but he's right. The ability. Think about when you're driving, the perception and what you what you see. I know we have sophisticated mi- or here. I know we have sophisticated microphones and speakers that run sounds through algorithms. But how will a car know what to do if a semi tire blows in front of you as you're traveling down the interstate at 70 miles per hour? How will it recognize that sound of a tire blowing? How will it recognize what direction it came from? I'm reminded of an incident that happened to me when traveling with my family, and I hear what sounded like a muffled shotgun and a puff of smoke, and finally the tire was off the rim and slinging at me at interstate speed, 10 feet in the air. I've been here with this. He's right. The semi was two to three car lanes in front of me. I had experienced that before, so it was in my bank of experienced moments. But how will a self-driving car be able to account for thousands of decisions being made and the multiple variables of driving conditions, night, day, sandstorm, blizzard, torrential rain, wind? You get the point. Roads, other traffic, accidents, signage, rules, laws, and, of course, stupid human tricks. Lots to still figure out, and I'm not ready to give up control of a man-made wonder to a group of engineers. The human element is the last line of defense. Here's the best part, and he's right. He's, boy, he's so right. Spot on. Humans are not perfect, which means man-made technology will never be perfect either. Only God is perfect. Thanks for taking the time to read this. I appreciate all you have to offer on your show, Eric Bean. Eric, you know what, brother? You are so spot on right. It's, it's y- y- you know, the whole idea here is that, you know, in terms of looking at the vehicle and, and what we go through driving, the sight, the sound, the smell, the feel, how will a self-driving car duplicate that? It can see the road, but can it can it hear that sound? Can it... 
Can it smell that fire that you're going to drive through out in the brush fires, right? Can it see the smoke? Can it? Does it know when to keep you at a safe at, at a safe distance away from a vehicle that might be smoking and ready to turn itself on fire? I just don't know. And hopefully the engineers do. And uh, maybe we can educate them as well. Hey, i got to go. Clock says it's time. I'm running in the car, doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See you.